The Enneagram is about our personalities. Uh, as we raise children or as we are part of families, we begin to discover that we are different from one another. Our kids are different from one another. Um, we had two children that were quite different from each other, so we thought we probably had all bases covered, and the third one would probably be one of the two, and the fourth one would be one of the two again. But the third and the fourth were different from the first and the second, um, and, and so you're left looking around and marveling at the personality. Our personality is the way that we interface with our world. That's probably the simplest way to, to put it. When we moved from Vancouver to Ontario, um, our children began new schools, of course. And our one son, uh, when he went to school, uh, went to a lovely school just pretty much across the street from where we lived. And so the first day when he came home from school, Annabeth was you know, doing the mom thing and asking how school was. And uh, she, got, she got to the question, um, did anybody talk to you? No. So Annabeth said, well, what did you do at recess? Um, I, I stood, I just stood there, see if anybody would talk to me. And you saw the mom's heart kind of going, oh, my goodness. Second day, I think, he, he came home and Annabeth said, how was it? You know, it's fine. Um, what'd you do at recess? Just stood there, see if anybody would talk to me. Did anybody talk to you? I think it was the third day he came home and Annabeth said, so how was school? Typical answer, fine. Um, what did you do at recess? Well, I just stood there. At, at school today, did anybody talk to you? Yeah, one kid did. And you begin to think, oh, good. But it was just to ask if he could borrow my eraser. Uh, our personality, the way that we interface with the world. Um, let me bring you to just a, a bit of an understanding again of, of how we see the personalities that we all occupy and how they are, in, in a sense, the fragmented whole personality that we were created with. So maybe if we were to understand ourselves as whole beings, if sin had not come and changed things and changed people and changed us, and we were able to be fully orbed humans, would we be able to sort of travel through the nine types of the Enneagram? And it may well be that uh, the composite of the Enneagram is the perfect personality. Uh, some studies have been conducted on the, the whole life and behavior of Jesus and how that uh, he, in different times and ways in his life, lived into one or more of the aspects that we see on the Enneagram. So we've seen the first four. We've seen the need to be perfect, the need to be needed, the need to succeed, the need to be special, then the need to perceive is the one that we'd like to have a look at today. And remember how we understand how these all relate to each other. There's the complicated graph, but here's the simple version. And we're going to look today at the need to perceive. And the need to perceive is also related to a couple of others. Oops, that's supposed to be a straight line, so is that. 
and the others look like that. So what we've said is that one of these is likely the cabin in which we live. The two neighbor cabins are ones to the left and to the right of the cabin we live in. And we can visit those cabins, but probably not stay there. We'll probably come home to our familiar cabin. That's the box that we typically live in. And in each of the cases, there are two others that are related by these lines and arrows. And when the arrow is facing towards the type we're considering, it's when we're doing well. We're saying, yes, I'm, I, I easily live out into that particular type as well. When the arrow is pointing away, it's what we do when we're not feeling good, when we're stressed, when we're in periods of difficulty in our lives. And so the need to perceive is, as Mary said, exactly um, the Thomas kind of a need. It's, it's the need to, to really understand things. It's, it's the need to dig into things. Um, this type is sometimes called the lettuce. Now, here's why it's called the lettuce type. Um, its heart is in its head. You have to think about that for a minute. The head of lettuce, where's the heart? It's in the head. The one that we saw last week does not have its heart in its head. In fact, its head doesn't really matter. It's its heart that matters. Um, the, the person with the need to be special is one who feels life, who feels relationships, who feels situations, and who is not particularly cognitively oriented around all of the things in his or her life. So the answer to the question, how are you, um, is, is an easily answerable question. It might not be a happy answer, but that's a question that the person who is type 4 can answer quite well i'm i'm happy i'm sad i'm excited i'm i'm longing various things like that uh, type 5 if i were to ask that person how are you the person would have to say well what what do you mean um how am i um in in what sense do you want to know how I am? And, and in what sense can I even respond? In what sense can I sort of articulate how I am? It's a difficult question. Um, some people have called those who are this type, the need to perceive, um, as kind of boring. And when one of these particular people was asked about that, he said, I, I'm boring. Are you kidding me? If you could get inside my head, it is not boring in there. It is talking all the time. It is busy all the time. It's, it's, a, it's a place of, of constant interesting things. I'm not boring. And the person apparently said to this fellow, well, to me you are, which was disconcerting to this person that was called boring. Um, when we are that sort of a person, we really need to, to let as much of the data come and get sorted in our heads. And probably the, the best way to describe it is to say, my head really is a busy place. I'm always thinking. I'm always wondering. I'm always trying to figure out. 
I'm always doubting. I'm, I'm always conjecturing. I'm, I, I'm always in process of learning, of becoming, of understanding. Um, so it is usually with an introverted kind of a personality because the things that are happening in that person's life are happening inside his head or her head. Um, there have been studies done about the reticular activation system and how it's even it's how active it is in extroverts and introverts and and the discovery is that introverts are are just bombarded with data that they're trying to process. Um, my dad was an extrovert and my mom was an introvert. Uh, my dad could meet anybody, talk to anybody, um, and things were pretty simple to him. My mom was an introvert, and she did not do well in relationships, and she um, did not do well in really articulating all of the things that were, were going on inside of her head. I once met with a couple, and they were struggling over the difference between them, and the husband was very extroverted, and the wife was very introverted. And at one point, she looked over at her husband, and she said, I think I've got this figured out. If I were to drop you into a party of 100 people you've never met, you would think you've died and gone to heaven. He said, yes. She said, if you were to drop me into a party of 100 people I'd never met, I'd thought I have died and gone to hell. And he looked at her. He, he, he was astonished. And he said, I, I didn't understand that. Until so she could really explain it to him. So this one does have to do with those differences in, in our lives fairly typically. So someone has said that it, it's not necessary to, to definitely you know, land on one of these and say, yes, I know for sure that's me. Um, but rather travel around all nine and see what feels comfortable. We talked about this on Tuesday in our little debrief on Sundays, and um, the question was asked, do, do you go into different types at different times in your life? And I think you may well do that. Um, for, for those who do finally settle in one of the types, um, there's an experience of both delight and horror at the same time. Delight that in some way, this explains me to me. The horror that this explains me to me when, when you finally light on one of these. And in, in terms of a biblical sort of anthropology, um, we begin to see that the characters of the Bible are, are wonderfully portrayed to us in full color. Um, the Bible is not a simple text of, of data or... It's not a, um, a theory that's given. It's not a set of doctrines, not a set of, of theology. It's a set of stories. And they are the stories of people's lives and the stories of people's relationships with one another. The stories of the way that faith and God gets into the middle of people's lives and stories. Um, and, and then the whole thing is beautifully woven together um, to tell us the meta-narrative of God's love, God's grace, and God's mercy for us through, through all of humankind. 
As we think about the opportunities in the Bible to see things kind of laid out for us, um, Luke is one of the characters, along with Thomas, um, who would be a great example of um, this kind of a, um, a perceiver kind of person, a thinker kind of a person. Um, who, who was Luke? He was called the beloved physician by the Apostle Paul. Um, Luke was on Paul's missionary journeys. It's, it's thought that maybe Luke was one of the 70 sent out by Jesus. He wasn't one of the disciples, but he may have been one of the 70 that were sent out to do, to do evangelism. Um, Luke was involved in Paul's missionary journey, second missionary journey, third missionary journey, and Paul's final journey to Rome. And Luke was his personal physician, as well as a brilliant chronologer. Um, the, the Greek of Luke's gospel record and the Acts is said to be the most complex Greek of, of the whole New Testament. It's almost classical. So the, the Greek of the New Testament is called Koine Greek, which is a common Greek, everyday Greek. Um, but Luke is almost classical, like the Greek literatures that, that we have. He seems to have been a brilliant person. Um, he took it upon himself, we might say, to, to chronicle the life of Jesus and, and the, the experiences of the early church. And Luke chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, as we read it together, is a perfect sort of exp exposure, if you like, or expose of the perceiver kind of a person that, that we see in the Enneagram. So just listen for that as I read it to you, and we'll, we'll just th think about this for a moment. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to, to compile an account of the things accomplished among us, just as they were ha handed down to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, it seemed fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning, to write it out for you in consecutive order, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the exact truth about the things you have been taught. That's interesting all by itself, but when you couple it with the idea that this is the sort of person who is writing this, um, it, it brings us to just notice and kind of go, oh my goodness, that's exactly how a perceiver would be working this um, knowledge through and, and trying to communicate this to others. So we have the gospel record of Luke and the whole record of the book of Acts. Um, both of them are written to Theophilus. And, of course, we know all about Theophilus, don't we? No, we know nothing about Theophilus. We don't know who he is. Presumably it's he. Um, it, it simply means lover of God. And Luke writes to Theophilus, and this is the part that the scholars refer to that, that is the most impressive Greek of the whole New Testament. The words that we find here are the words of, of cognition, the words of, of thinking, of compiling, of learning, of communicating, of sorting. Um, he, he takes upon himself um, an incredible task of telling the whole story of, of the life of Jesus and the beginning of the church. 
The Bible, as I've, I've said to you many times, is such a fascinating work of literature. Um, why do we have four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Three of them are called the synoptics. That means they looked at the same time. They looked together, syn with an optic. Gives us optician and other optic words. The Gospel record of John is a theology, not a record. Um, the Gospel of Mark is thought to be the oldest Gospel. And the comparison between the four Gospels is a fascinating one to undertake. And Luke factors in there um, in giving us the things that, first of all, occur to him as being very interesting and observable. Luke has more stories about miracles and healings than the rest of the Gospels. Why is that? Because he's a doctor, he's a physician. Uh, Luke has incredible details of geography, and the acts have the, the tales of, of vessels at sea, um, navigating islands, lands, and because Luke was fascinated with, with geography. He was fascinated with sailing. Um, so this mind of his, along with the gracious work of the Holy Spirit, who quickened Luke's mind to get the right data in place so that Luke could use his natural propensity to study, to learn, to write, to communicate, to compile, to understand, um, at the end of the day, uh, provides for us one of the gospel records along with um, the only record that we really have um, fully about the beginning of the church. There's one um, piece of literature called the Didache, which was, um, in some ways, the teaching of the apostles and another record of what was going on in the early church. But if we didn't have Luke, we wouldn't have the gospel record with some of the details that he brings uniquely about Jesus' life. We wouldn't have the story of the growth of the early church, um, and, and we wouldn't have a full-orbed um, gospel a full Lord history of the life of Christ in the beginning of the church. All of it at least tremendously assisted by the fact that Luke uniquely was living in this kind of a personality. He was this kind of a person. He was the lettuce kind of a person um, who was wanting things to be properly processed and understood. The result of it all, in terms of what he hopes, is at the end of, of Luke 1, verse 4. He says, so that you may know, Theophilus, the exact truth about the things you have been taught, so that you may know the exact truth. One of the wonderful aspects of the human person and the human personality and mind um, is the ability to keep on learning and discovering. And this kind of a type, this kind of a personality, is the kind that will end up giving lectures in universities, teaching in high schools, teaching in elementary schools, teaching in churches, writing books, um, putting out ideas, doing scientific research, doing medical research, contributing to our human experience in, in spades. And it's, it's a provision that God has made um, that along with the other eight types would all roll together 
to be a full personality, but has been separated out and leads us to, to grasping and understanding truth, both biblical truth and scientific truth um, and just ordinary truth all around us. Some of the writers that are in the church today are gifts from God, and they have been the sort of people who aren't willing to just accept what has been handed down to them. They're the sort of people that ask the question, why? Or they're the sort of people who um, push back, uh, like Thomas. Or if you go to the arrow away, um, they are the kind of people who are able, in the strength of their personality, to be against, um, to be contrary, to, to say, no, let's think about that again. Let's think about that still. And in the church, we are continuing to morph into um, the better version of us that the church should be. And one of the most frightening things is when we reduce ourselves to what we did know, to what we did decide, and what we did write down, and say, now you sign that as well, because if you want to be with us, one of us, you have to, you have to subscribe to all of these things. At the same time, people are learning new things, and I've referred many times to N.T. Wright, and he is one of those people who is thoroughly orthodox in terms of what we already did know and believe, but who says, here's another way to look at this, or here's a different emphasis that would be helpful on this. And so we're able to say, hmm, okay, that does change my appreciation or my confidence in the things that I'm committing myself to in faith. So that's exactly what Luke was doing. Luke was saying, look, I know there are a lot of stories around, and everybody's trying to tell the chronology of Jesus' life. I have studied this as carefully as I possibly could. And if you want to know my credentials, I'm, yes, I'm a medical doctor. Yes, I speak better Greek than anybody else. Yes, but the point is, this is so important that I wanted to write down exactly what happened in the order that it took place so that Theophilus, anybody who is a person of faith in God, that you will know for sure what went on. If you are this type, you are the type who would feel like you always have more questions. You would think that you're the type that um, always doubts, always needs to go back to square one and start over and think it through again. Um, and that is a good thing. And to assist that process, um, this short little passage in Luke um, is a very confirming passage that says, Theophilus, I wanted you to be sure. I wanted you to know the truth. And so here, here's what I've written down. So as we, um, long after the fact, go back and read the Bible, um, we come to the same conclusion where we, we accept the stories of the Old Testament, the chronology and the teaching of the New Testament, and we think it through and we press it through and we think about different options and we think about questions and doubts. And then we finally come to the point of faith again or faith renewed and say, I still believe. I still believe because there's a careful record. There are careful stories. Um, they've been tested. They've been proven. And for 2,000 years, the church has held on um, to the truth of the life of Jesus 
and the beginning of the church that, that he founded. Theophilus, I just want you to know the, the exact truth about the things that you've been taught. Is it okay to have questions? Absolutely. And probably the most frequent question that comes to me as a pastor is, um, how, how can you be sure um, I have all these questions, and is it, is it okay to have questions? We need to say to one another, it is perfectly, perfectly okay to have questions. It's perfectly okay to have doubts. Um, and the reason that we even configured this room this way is to sort of say that, that there are no questions that are forbidden here. Um, there are no discussions that have already ended as far as we're concerned um, because we kind of like the type five um, that says, hmm, the heart is in the head. I need to understand. I need to press through. I need to grasp and I'm going to keep on working at this until I can grasp it. I think one of the greatest examples of this kind of, of personality type right now is Jordan Peterson. And it's up to you what you think of Jordan Peterson all told. But his, his affect, his delivery, his content is this type thoroughly. And he... Because he's always struggling to understand and grasp, he sheds light on things. Um, he comes as a person of a little outside of the evangelical faith, so to speak. I'm pretty sure he's in that faith. And because he comes that way, he looks at our faith and our beliefs and our Bible differently and what he says about them is profound. Um, so you sort it through and, and you say, well, do I agree with him or do I not agree with him? But he's just a, a marvel at thinking things through and pressing them to their logical conclusion. One of his most pressing um, topics is that if, the, if, if there is a God and you declare that you believe in him, wow. He would say, I would be terrified to make that claim because if you make that claim, it would mean that you do everything that he wants you to do, that you are the thoroughly Christian person that you should be. And, and, and so he says what we would say from inside the camp, from the outside of the camp, and says, here's kind of a prophetic word to you. So anyway, if you're looking for a podcast or YouTube to look for this week. Jordan Peterson, worth, worth listening to. He's from um, U of T, Canadian, just down the road from us. Theophilus, I have undertaken the job of thinking things through, of writing them down with a view to a confirmation of the faith that we have in common. So why don't we pray about this? Father, along with the other personalities. We thank you for the people uh, all around us um, who are perceivers, who are deep thinkers and observers and watchers and listeners. Um, Father, we thank you for the times that we uh, see the perceivers with um, those who have the need to be special and how they learn from each other and can 
reach into each other's style and and live into and out from those styles together. We look forward to the day when we will all be complete, when we will all be perfect, um, when we will all enjoy all of the aspects of the personality that we will have in our redeemed state in the the new created heavens and earth. Thank you, Father, for the way that all of these will blossom into our experience and into our community together um, as uh, Christ is seen and worshipped as our King of kings and Lord of lords. In his name we pray. Amen.